You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm Pastor Joey, and I hope what you're about to hear blesses you, increases your love and knowledge of Jesus, and answers any questions that you might have about him. Our text this morning is from John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for your blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and, he re- and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but gave... But everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, wow, that was a really good call and response. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Wow, great. It's good to be here with you guys, uh, to be together worshiping the Lord Jesus. There's, There's no better place to be than with God's people on the Lord's day, worshiping and delighting in him. What does it mean? to believe in something. You believe that maybe mutual funds will give you a good return on your money, and so you invest a sizable sum. You believe that the engineering of an airplane is sound, and so you hop on the plane to fly across the country. You believe that your girlfriend loves you and would make an excellent wife, so you propose to her. Every situation, every decision that you make is rooted in belief. In other words, belief requires action. We cannot escape this reality. It's a part of the human condition. You know, should you buy chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Well, you would choose chocolate, obviously, because it's the superior flavor, especially if you've had my chocolate ice cream. I mean, can I get a witness? Anybody a witness to my ice cream? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. You choose the chocolate. Why? because you believe that it will be a more pleasurable experience. Well, our passage today has all to do with belief. 
So if you aren't already there, I invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. In these verses, we come across very clear claims that Jesus makes about himself, mainly that he is the Christ. That's the proposition. That's the truth claim. And the question is, how do the people react? You see, Jesus' claims here cannot be simply treated with indifference. His his claims are, are far too significant to be treated so lightly. No, Jesus' claims demand a response. And we see how the the Jewish audience reacts to Jesus and to his claims. We see also another group of Jews at the end of the passage who embrace Jesus and who believe in him. The two options are reject Jesus or embrace Jesus. And the question is, how will you respond? So your response to the claims of Jesus is the most significant decision that you will ever make in your life. And that's not to say that there aren't other important decisions that you will have to make in your life that have major consequences. You know, who do you marry? What house do I buy? Where do I live? What career do I have? But friends, there is no other decision in your life that has eternal consequences. It is this alone. See, Jesus says that eternal life hangs in the balance here. There is the way that leads to perishing, and there is the way that leads to eternal life. And if you do not believe in Jesus, then you go the way that leads to perishing. It's eternal suffering, bearing the wrath of God for all of eternity in hell. But if you believe, you're given eternal life. You're given communion with God. You experience eternal security in Him. And make no mistake, friends, we've talked about this before, but eternal life is not just a future reality. It is present. It is here. It is now. And so you truly live only when you are in Christ. So, so Citizens Church, even though we're all Christians here, the members of this congregation are all Christians, we still need to believe in Christ. This is not just one intellectual decision that we make at a moment where we experience conviction of our sins. The battle of belief is an everyday battle. We have to fight against the inclination of our flesh towards sin. We have to battle against our unbelief. We have to submit ourselves to his leading and follow him. And so we need to hear the words that Jesus has this morning and embrace these wonderful, glorious truths about who he is. And it's my hope that as we consider these things, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to gladly follow him. And to my non-Christian friends, this is a a wonderful Sunday for you to be here because you get to hear these claims about Jesus. You get to consider who he is and what it might look like for you to believe and to embrace this truth and receive eternal life. So before we jump in, let's... Let's ask God for help this morning. Father, we honor you and we praise you this morning as we gather together as your people. May the meditation of our heart and the praise of our lips be a pleasing aroma and sacrifice for you this morning. Would you help us 
as we encounter the truth of Jesus Christ this morning. Would you help us to be humble, to receive these things, and to know Christ and all of his benefits and blessings for us. Help us to find freedom from our sins. Help us to find freedom from our worries and our troubles and our anxious hearts. Help us to have a sense of security and assurance of our salvation and your love for us this morning. Father, convict us of sin that we would be free from these things, able to be in the, the good pleasure and presence of our shepherd Jesus, going in and out of pasture. We're thankful for your word this morning, Father, that it speaks truly. We ask that it would do a powerful work in us this morning. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's begin here, starting in verse 22, and we're going to see these claims of Jesus, and that is that Jesus is the Christ. So let's start in, in verse 22. It says this, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we left off in verse 21 with a bit of a mixed reception to Jesus and his words about himself. And he had just taught the Jewish people that he is the good shepherd, that he is the one who, who calls out his sheep by name, that he is the one who guards them and protects them. He's the one who gives them life. He is the one who dies for them and raises himself up from the dead by his own power. And the people responded in two ways. There was opposition and there was openness. You had those who were opposed and said that Jesus was a, a demon-possessed, insane person. And then you had those who said, well, hold on. Let's maybe not go that far. We can't jump to that conclusion based on the things that he has said. And he has just healed this man born blind. We saw that in chapter 9. So that's, that's sort of where we leave off. And when we come to verse 22, we're, we're actually jumping forward in time a little bit about two months forward in time. And we know this because back in chapter 7, John tells us that Jesus came to Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths, which would take place in September, October, sometime around there. So everything from chapter 7 to where we ended off last week is taking place during that time. And when we come to verse 22, we read what? That it is now the Feast of Dedication. And that takes place sometime late November to mid-December. And this feast, by the way, you may be have not heard of this feast, but this is what we would know as Hanukkah. But it's interesting that we have these major scenes of Jesus' ministry in John's gospel happening, centering around various feasts. Um, in chapter 2, we have the Passover. And in chapter 2, what happens? We have Jesus turning the tables and cleansing the temple during the time of the Passover in chapter 5, we have an unnamed feast, probably the Feast of Booze, and there Jesus heals the invalid and tells the people that he is equal with God and they try to kill him. And in chapter 6, we have the Passover again when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water and then tells the crowds that he is the bread of life. And in chapter 7, we return again to the Feast of Booze where Jesus says that he comes in the authority of the Father and invites people to drink of him, but the people then eventually try to kill him at the end of chapter 8. And then, of course, we have another mention of a feast here. But why mention this? Like, why does John record 
this reality. Well, these feasts would be the largest gatherings of the Jewish people. And by centering his story, his narrative around these feasts, he is showing just how pervasive the unbelief of the Jewish people was about Christ. And not only this, but the religious leaders would also want to confront Christ during these times because this is where the largest crowds were going to be. This is where they could maybe drum up the greatest support for their cause against Christ. They wanted to reject him and they wanted the people to reject him. And of course, rejection of Christ is what we see later in this passage. So this is the time of year that it was, and and then John tells us that it was winter, which kind of seems like a random insertion, like an unnecessary detail that he would include that. But of course, uh, for those who wouldn't be aware of the Jewish feasts and the times that they would happen, that would be a helpful detail. But I appreciate that John does record that this is winter because winter does seem like an apt description of what's going on here. And when you think of winter, what comes to mind? It's cold. Sometimes it's bitter cold. It's painful even to be outside. It's unwelcoming. You don't even want to be out there. That's how the Jews received Jesus. Cold, bitter, unwelcoming. Winter is also dark. The sun isn't out as long. And the darkness covers most or more portion of the day. And as we read in chapter 9, the Jews were in the darkness of their spiritual blindness. Winter is also a time of death. The vegetation all dies, the animals all go away, and, and we as humans cannot survive long out in the cold of winter. The Jews are spiritually dead. And of course, Jesus himself will soon die as well. So as much as it was winter on the calendar, it was also winter on the hearts of the Jewish people. Spiritually cold, spiritually dark, spiritually dead. It is a cold winter spiritual environment that Jesus has entered into. And here we see that Jesus walks around the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so this was a a structure on the east side of the temple, and it was covered with a roof. This is where people would gather in the winter. Why? Well, because it would give you protection from the elements, from the freezing rain and from the snow. And so this is really where everybody is going to be. And it is here that the Jews gather around Jesus. And they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That's kind of a shocking question, a shocking statement, as though Jesus has not done that. Do they think that Jesus has just been coy all this time? He has publicly called himself Yahweh. He has called himself the Son of God on several occasions. Jesus has spoken to them plainly with his words as well as with his works. They just don't want to listen. They're they're not asking this question with any sort of integrity or sincerity. They aren't looking for knowledge. They aren't looking to understand. They aren't looking to embrace him as the Christ. John has told us on three different occasions that these people have tried to kill him. They know exactly what he has said. And they hate him for it. 
They just want Jesus to say it again in front of all these people so that they can justify taking his life. But even though they aren't asking the question with any sort of integrity, they do ask the most important question. Jesus, are you the Christ? This is the most important question. It's the question that everybody has to ask. And Jesus' response is a resounding yes. Let's read it, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, yes, and I've already told you this. And he reminds them of both his words and his works. So let's take a quick survey of the things that Jesus has said about himself. A survey of the things that he has done. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to be quick and nimble on this one. We're going to go through this pretty quick. In John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says that, that he is the Son of Man and that he is the link between heaven and earth. John 3.13, Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Again, Jesus says that he is the Son of Man who has come down from heaven. John 5.17 and 18, But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And here's John's commentary in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking, to, seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Jesus claims to be God. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus says that he has life in himself, that he is self-existent. No one gives him life but himself, and he has the authority to give life to whom he wills. John 5, 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says that the scriptures are all about him. John 6, 35 and verse 51. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus said that he is the sustenance that we need. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 8, 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus says that obeying his words means that you will never die. John 8, 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claims to be Yahweh. John 9, 35 through 37, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that's the blind man, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, 
And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Again, Jesus says that he is the son of man. And then John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said that he is the shepherd who would die for his sheep. Jesus has not been shy about proclaiming all that he is. And he also says that the works that he has done has bear, bear witness about him. Well, what are these? In John chapter 2, he turns the water into wine. In John chapter 3, we're told that there are, are various miracles that he did because Nicodemus says that no one can do the works that he does unless what? God is with him. Chapter 4, Jesus revealed everything that the Samaritan woman had done, and he healed the official's son by the word of his power. In chapter 5, he healed the man who was blind, lame, and paralyzed for 38 years. In John 6, he fed the 5,000 and he walked on water. In John 9, he healed the man born blind. And of course, in the next chapter, he will raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has said and done all of these things. The problem is not that Jesus has not declared that he is the Christ. The problem is that the Jews don't believe. But why? What is happening here? If all of this is laid before them, why do they not believe? There's two answers to that question. There's a, there's a human element and there's a heavenly element. And we'll consider the, the heavenly side to that for right now. And Jesus' answer is that they are not among his sheep. And Jesus talked all about his sheep in last week's verses. And he makes the point is, again, and that is that his sheep hear his voice. And what we see here is that, that men can hear the truth of God all day. And they can see the works that Jesus has done and yet still not believe. And friends, that should really give us a little bit of comfort in our evangelism as we would engage those who do not believe. For if, if men rejected Christ who spoke, spoke in front of them and who did miraculous works right in front of their eyes and they still did not believe and rejected him, we should not be surprised that they will reject the same Christ when we present him to them today. Not all will hear the voice of the good shepherd and come to him. But those who are his lost sheep, they will hear it and they will come to him and they will follow him. It might not be the very first time that they hear it, but make no mistake, if they are lost sheep, they will be found. He will gather his sheep. And so we call on all men as though they are all lost sheep, begging them to hear the voice of the shepherd who calls. There are a few important truths for us to consider in, in these verses about Jesus. Jesus is saying that he is the Christ. But what does that mean? So let's look again at verse 27. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus is our good shepherd, and as his sheep, we hear his voice, and we follow him. Now, now hearing the voice of God is, is not about hearing the audible voice of God in your life. 
about having these fantastical conversations and stirrings in your own mind about God speaking to you. That's not what's being described here. This is the salvific call of God. This is God drawing you unto himself. This is the call of God that means a life of being known by Jesus and following him. Remember how we considered Psalm 23 last week. When, when God is our shepherd, what are the things that we're told? We have no lack. He restores our souls. He leads us into righteousness. He protects us from evil. He comforts us. He anoints us. He blesses us. He dwells with us. And so we follow him wholeheartedly with all of our being. Why? Because he knows us and he loves us. And as we go into verse 28, it gets even better. See, because Jesus is the Christ, because he is the good shepherd, he gives eternal life to his sheep and they will never perish. That's remarkable. Never perish. And in the Greek, that is, that is very emphatic. It's a, it's, there's a double negative that's happening there to make the point that there is a zero possibility that when you belong to Christ, when you are one of his sheep, that you will ever perish. Why? You possess eternal life. You possess eternal life. So Jesus here is teaching of the, the doctrine, that sweet and precious doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. When you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ truly and eternally. Thieves and robbers will never be able to snatch you away. Why? Because you are in the hands of Christ and no one is able to snatch you out of his hand. And Jesus then gives the reason, the further reason why no one can snatch you out of his hand in verse 29. It says that the Father has given them to Jesus and no one is greater than the Father. No one can snatch them out of his hands. No one can thwart the Father's plan. What the Father wills comes to pass. And so Jesus is saying that if you question my ability to hold my sheep, then you question the Father's ability to hold his sheep. And so we are secure because we are doubly held by the hands of the Father and the Son. And that is a glorious, glorious thing because no one can overcome him. No one. And isn't this what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8? Do you remember that when we went over Romans, gosh, was that two years ago at this point? One year ago? I don't even know. Romans 8 was a while ago. Romans 8, starting in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. What a glorious reality. Because Jesus is the Christ, all his sheep are eternally secure in his hands. And this singular power is summed up 
And what Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus punctuates his statement by claiming that he and the Father are one. And this is not a new teaching. Jesus has taught this back in chapter 5. Jesus is God. They are one in purpose, one in essence, one in eternal power. All that Jesus has said and done points to this glorious reality. Jesus is God. Before concluding the section and moving on to the next, I would, I would like us to meditate on, on just one more thing. Go back to verse 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There really are a few things that we could draw out of this and meditate on, but I, I really just want to focus in on, on one really important thing. And I think that this one thing is a profound source of comfort for us as Christians. It's that phrase right in the middle there. I know them. I know them. Is there anything so comforting to hear than to know that the sovereign, almighty creator of the universe knows you? He knows you. He doesn't just know about you. He doesn't just know random facts. He knows you to the depth of your very soul, to the core of your being. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is God, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. In 1 Corinthians 8.3, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Jesus has a deep and eternal affection for his sheep. He knows our wants. He knows our needs. He knows our weaknesses and our sins and our failures. And he has the most sincere interest in our good in our welfare, in our blessing, in our growth in holiness. In his kindness, he helps us and he comforts us because he knows us. He gives us the sweetest thing. It's communion with himself forevermore. Do you realize that that's what makes eternal life eternal life? It isn't just the, the unending reality of it. It is the quality of that life that is spent in the presence of God Almighty for all of eternity. There is nothing sweeter, no higher delight than to know God and to be known by Him. And so Christian, do you struggle? God knows you. Are, are you anxious and troubled? God knows you. Are you alone? God knows you. Do you feel like you are not loved? God knows you. Do you hear that truth? Do you, do you let that stir your heart? There is nothing sweeter to hear and know as a Christian to know that God knows you and he loves you. 
Would that we would know this always and be stirred by this always. But God, our hearts are fickle. Would you help us? So are you afraid? Again, God knows you. Do you, do you struggle with your assurance of salvation? God knows you. This is your comfort. This is your home. This is your resting place. And God knows you and God loves you. So Jesus is the Christ which means that he is the shepherd of God's sheep. He is the Christ, which means that he calls out to his sheep and he leads them. Jesus is the Christ, which means that he knows his sheep intimately. Jesus is the Christ, which means that he gives his own life to his sheep. Jesus is the Christ, which means that his own sheep are eternally secure in his hands, never to perish. Jesus is the Christ, which means that he and the Father are one. Jesus is the Christ, which means that he is God. Here it is, plain as day, right there for everyone to hear and understand. And everyone will have a response to this. You either embrace it or you reject it. And that's what we'll see next. How do the Jews respond? What can we learn about properly responding to Jesus? Let's look at verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So immediately we see that they reject Jesus' claim. They hear Jesus' words, and what do they hear? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. And of course, they already knew what Jesus was going to say. They've heard it all before. Jesus is God. And notice how the last time that Jesus made this explicit claim in, in chapter 8 the Jews reacted to him in the same way. They picked up stones to stone him. And John even records them as picking up stones again. And in doing this, he, he, is, he is again emphasizing the anger and hatred that these people have for Jesus. He's emphasizing just how much they are indeed more blind than the man who was born blind in chapter 9. He is showing that these are not Jesus' sheep because they do not want to hear his words. Why do they hate Jesus so much? Well, back in chapter 1, John says of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the, the light of of the world that shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome him. So why does it hate Jesus then? John 3, 19. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And Jesus said to his brothers in John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify about it that its works 
are evil. Men do not want their evil deeds exposed by the light. We go to great lengths to cover our own sins and to remain in the darkness, don't we? We see it in the world around us, and it's easy to point to those horrible things, but in our own hearts, we all know that we go to great lengths to hide our sin and to hide our darkness. And these Jews even go so far as to attempt to murder the Son of God. Of course, we know that they will eventually succeed. Anything to keep themselves and their deeds hidden in the darkness. But I love the, the boldness of Jesus here. Here are the people standing here, angry, stones in hand, ready to kill him. Jesus responds to them. There's no fear. He knows that his time has not yet come. And so they're ready to kill him, and Jesus challenges them. And he calls on them to reason with him. And he's exposing their hypocrisy and their, and their misunderstanding of their own scripture. And so Jesus is, is going to make two arguments here in the next few verses. He's going to make a biblical argument, and he's going to make a theological argument. So, so verse 34, we'll look at the biblical argument. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So this is his biblical case. And again, I want to appreciate what Jesus does here. And Jesus has such clarity of thought. He knows the Scriptures so well that even in the face of being killed, he's able to make a biblical case from an obscure part of a psalm. And he quotes here Psalm 82, which is a, a judgment psalm upon the uh, rulers of Israel. We're told that God judges them for their corruption, for their neglect of the, the weak and needy, and for their foolishness because they, they walk about in the darkness and they don't try to gain any sort of knowledge or understanding. Gee, doesn't that sound familiar with the people he's talking to? And Jesus is saying that the, the corrupt rulers here were called gods. No, little g, not Yahweh, but they were called gods. And the word was used for them because they received the word of God and they were the agents of God. So if God would call them gods, why would it be blasphemy to Jesus to say that he is the son of God? If the term gods could be applied to corrupt rulers, how much more could it be applied to the incorruptible, perfect, sinless son of God? That's the point that Jesus is making. That's his, his biblical argument. And, and the fact that Jesus makes biblical arguments is amazing. Because in, in doing that, he is showing the authority and the power and the consistency of the Scripture. And, and I really do want to make a, a quick note about the aside that Jesus makes, because I think that it's important, uh, the aside that he makes in verse 35. First, notice here that Jesus equates the Word of God with Scripture. That's an important little detail. Those two are the exact same thing. But, but the, the really important thing here is that Jesus believes that the Scripture cannot be broken. Scripture always comes to pass. Scripture 
cannot be changed. Scripture cannot be tampered with. Proverbs 35 says every word of God proves true. It cannot be altered. It cannot be tampered with. You can't rip things out of context and twist them to mean something different. The Scripture is God's Word. It is breathed out by God. Peter tells us that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so this is Jesus' view of Scripture. And friends, what does that mean? We have to have Jesus' view of Scripture. If we do not have Jesus' view of Scripture, we're in trouble. That's why all sorts of odd things get taught out. That's why we have all sorts of heresies out. That's why we get so many problems and twistings of what God's word means. This happens all around us. We've got problems even in our own denomination happening right now where, where scripture is being twisted and abused. We have the convention actually this week, this annual meeting this week. It is going to be a contentious one. Pray for us that the, the fidelity to the scripture would remain consistent among our own denomination. But we see that there is a pattern then and now. People do not understand the scripture and they will twist it to suit their own purposes. So that's the biblical argument, but Jesus now moves to a theological argument starting in verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So this is his theological argument. He, he says that if his actions do not match with God, then he should be rejected. And he's saying that if you think that I am a blasphemer because of my words, then look at my works, and you will see that I can't be a blasphemer because the works that I do are the works that the Father does. Jesus is God, and his works prove this reality. But if they do not understand the God of the Bible, if they don't understand what his works are, they're not going to be able to see the Christ in front of them who is doing the works of the Father. They won't be able to see that Jesus is God. And of course, we see that they do not hear Jesus' arguments. His words have fallen on deaf ears. They could not bear Jesus' words, so they attempted to seize him and kill him. They're just like their father, the devil. Remember, Jesus made that accusation in chapter 8. Why did he say that? He said because he was a murderer from the beginning. He said because they are of their father, the devil. What did they try to do? Murder Jesus. And, and their murderous intent is evidence that they have no argument against Jesus. And rather than, than reasoning with him as, as Nicodemus did in chapter 3, as the, the Samaritan woman did in, in chapter 4, these people resort to murder. They have no argument. They have no leg to stand upon. They know that they cannot defeat Jesus with their words, so they seek to defeat him by killing him. Then he'll shut up. Then he won't be able to gather the masses But isn't this the way of the world? Isn't this how the world deals and operates with Christ? You know, I'm not saying that, that all unbelievers are necessarily eager to murder like this. But I am sure that you have had conversations yourself with non-Christians that have, have moved from a 
maybe a pleasant conversation to a very hostile conversation where there is a lot of venom being spit, a lot of malice. Or maybe you've seen those kinds of videos happening online. I mean, you can see videos of this happening all the time with issues such as abortion or LGBTQ issues. There's a lot of real intense hatred for the message of Christ from people who are steeped in darkness. It's the way of the world. It's the way of sin. Why? Again, people are of their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. But if we stop and actually think and actually hear the arguments that Jesus makes, we can begin to see the light. You know, earlier, we considered the, the heavenly side of the question of why don't people believe in Jesus? And the answer was that they aren't among Jesus' sheep. But the human side of it is it's not because that there, is, there is no evidence. It's because they hate the light and they love the darkness. Men reject Christ because they love their sin. The light exposes their sin and the darkness conceals it. And so the, the issue always, friends, always comes down to the sinful human condition. You don't logic people into the kingdom of God. People come into the kingdom of God when the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You know, the evidence of God is all around us. Romans 1 makes that perfectly clear. G uh, creation screams that there is a creator God. Your own conscience screams that there is some morality that exists beyond myself that I actually go against on a regular basis. But Jesus is the light who exposes sin. He testifies that what we do as humans is evil. And sinners don't want to hear this. You know, adulterers don't want to hear this. Homosexuals don't want to hear this. Murderers don't want to hear this. Liars and thieves don't want to hear this. Why? Again, because they love the darkness and they want to cling to their sin. It is the love of sin that produces unbelief. Therefore, sinners hate Jesus. And the reality is that Jesus promised that if the world hated him, it will also hate us. His message is our message. His work on the cross is our boast. And the message, make no mistake about it, it is offensive. That's why there is such a strong reaction to it. It is an offensive message. We tell people that their deeds are evil. We tell people that they're steeped in darkness and sin. We tell people that they are under God's wrath waiting to be poured out in eternal hell. We also tell them there is forgiveness in Christ. We tell them that if you come to him in humility that you will be forgiven. But Jesus must be received as who he is in our passage. He's the Christ. He is God. He is Lord. He has all power and he alone gives eternal life. So non-Christian friend, if you're here, you must believe the gospel. You must believe it. You know, it's not enough to think that you are a good person. It's not enough to have views that are, are maybe generally in line with Christianity. 
Here's the question they need to answer. Is Jesus the Christ? He is or he isn't. There is no middle ground. He is either the shepherd whom you follow with everything or he isn't. He is God and therefore has authority over your whole life or he isn't. You can't do nothing with Jesus. You have to do something about Jesus. And you can't wait around and see if maybe you feel like it next week or sometime. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't know which day will be your last, but you, you can know what, wait, what awaits for you when that day comes. In Christ, it is eternal life, but apart from Christ, it is eternal suffering. So don't live any longer for your sins. Don't live any longer in the darkness. Find freedom and forgiveness in Christ who laid down his life for his sheep and took it up again that we would have eternal life. And citizens, church, let us not be afraid but bold to proclaim this truth because the power of salvation rests in God. It does not rest in us. Let's preach the gospel. You know, why does Jesus continue to plead with these unbelieving people to believe? It is because it is the means by which his lost sheep will hear his voice and receive eternal life. See, God predestines the ends just as much as he predestines the means. And so it is only by the word being preached that men come to hear the voice of the shepherd. And his word goes out and it accomplishes that which it purposes. It does not return to his empty. And so his elect sheep will always be called unto himself when we are faithful to proclaim the voice of the shepherd. So John could have stopped here at this picture of unbelief. And he could have turned to chapter 11 with the story of Lazarus but he didn't. Instead, he shows us another picture of responding to Jesus. Instead of a picture of unbelief, we're given a picture of belief. Look at verse 40. He went again, went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So Jesus returns back to the first place that we meet him in John's gospel. In John chapter 1, Jesus encounters John the Baptist who is baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan River. This is the, the same place, and he stays there for some time. And, and at this point, John the Baptist has already been beheaded. He's dead at this point. But we can see that his ministry still has a bit of momentum. The people were primed and they were ready for Jesus. And when they encounter him, we're told that many believe. And they believed in Jesus because everything that John said about Jesus was true. These were Jesus' sheep. And what is it that John said about Jesus? Two different occasions. The first one is in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. In John chapter 3, 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, these words, they stuck with the people. John was all about Jesus. And according to John, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the one who must increase. And of course, John's message and baptism was one of repentance. He called the people of Israel to repent of their sins, and in so doing, he prepared the way for them to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're told that many believed in Christ. They they heard John, they saw Jesus, and they believed. So simple. And in such contrast to everything that we have seen so far. They saw many signs. They heard many of Jesus' words, yet they still would not believe him. But these people were humbled by the truth of John's message. They were ready for the Savior. That is biblical belief. That's the kind of belief that we must have, a humble belief. So the question is obvious. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior of the world? Or do you believe that he is the Lamb of God who died for sins? Do you believe that he is the good shepherd who is worthy to follow? Do you believe that he alone gives eternal life? Do you believe that he is God? Belief isn't about being smarter or better than anyone else. We're all in the darkness of our sins. Belief isn't about intellectually agreeing that God exists. Belief isn't about having the right morals or being outraged by the evils of our day. Belief is about sincerely resigning yourself to God. When the light of Christ shines, do you welcome it or do you run from it? If you reject Christ, you reject eternal life. You reject forgiveness. You reject all that is good and right and pleasurable. But if you believe, you receive eternal life, the forgiveness of your sins, eternal joy, a place in God's household, the promise of glory, the eternal safety found in God's hands and the leading of the good shepherd. And friends, it all starts with belief. So what will you do 
the claims of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy and high above us, and we are thankful for your power and your majesty. Father, would you help us to know more of Christ this morning? Would you help us to gladly submit ourselves to his leading? Would you, would you give us joy in his presence that we would experience eternal life even now? Would the light of Christ shine in our hearts that we would be awakened and, and set free from the darkness of our own sin? We are thankful, Father, for the gift of faith and the gift of belief. Help us to always be near to you. Help us to always hunger to know you more truly in your word. And Father, for those of us here who are not Christians, would you grant conviction that they too might belong to your sheep. They might belong to your fold and experience eternal life never to perish. Pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. For more information about Citizens Church, please go to citizensannapolis.com.